the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. We've made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about church, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585, if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, good week. Um, we'd love your phone calls today. Tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. I think a really important Bible study, one that hopefully will help us examine our hearts. And then on Sunday, Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, uh, I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Acts, the end of chapter 4, and into the story at the beginning of chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. So lots going on here. I pray that you'll go to church this weekend. You'll find somebody that needs to be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to them. Instead of worrying about, well, what's God going to do for me? Go wondering how God can use you to be a blessing to others. It will change your entire church experience. By On that, I can make a promise. Well, let's get to questions while we await any phone calls or questions coming in. Um, here is a question from Kay from our email inbox. She says, Hello, Pastor. I understand God loves and died for everyone, even his enemies, those who are not obedient in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, like the parent of the prodigal, loved his son even when he was rebelling, like the good Samaritan helping his enemy in need. Here's what I can't understand. The dreaded words Jesus will speak to the unsaved one day, Depart from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. How can God love the unrepentant and then say he never knew them? I hear preachers tell their congregants, uh, likely not all born again in parentheses, she has, she puts, that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. True words for those born again, but more confusing for those who are not. Um, you don't love and plan things for someone you don't uh, and have never known. If you can untangle this in my brain, I would be appreciative. Thank you, Kay. Kay, I'll do my best. I, I don't think this is difficult at all. Um, it is true that God has a plan for everybody's life. Um, but, but if they refuse to participate in that plan, God offers the plan in love. Now, we know God is love. The Bible is very clear about that. And he loves the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. And he offers those people a plan. Now, the fact that they reject it doesn't diminish his capacity to love them. In fact, it breaks his heart because the reality is on that day when they bow a knee 
and confess with their tongues that Jesus Christ is the Lord, it's going to be a terrifying, a tragic moment. And so what God is doing is saying, uh, I had this plan for you. It was all there. It's signed and sealed and delivered. It has my my stamp of approval on it. Uh, And yet that's our only part in the gift of salvation is receiving the gift. We did nothing to deserve the gift. Um, it's not like those who are nicer get more opportunities. The gift is given to the whole world. We're all born, John chapter 3 says, uh, condemned already. We're born into sin with this sin nature. But God has a plan for everyone. And okay, the fact that somebody rejects his plan indicates only that they don't love him. Not that God doesn't love them, but that they don't love him. Now, obviously, God lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning. So he knows who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. The reality, however, is the gift of God, the gift of salvation, is efficacious. It's, it's enough for the whole world, but it's only effective for those people who say yes to it. So uh, that's what he does. And when Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you, um, he does that with a broken heart. And that broken heart is finds its source in his infinite love for people. Imagine uh, in our own lives, we have children, Kay, and, and um, you know, we love our kids. They never stop being our kids. We love them with all of our heart. But sometimes our kids do what is right. Other times they willfully do what is wrong. We still love them. But there's a time when we've got to say, if you're going to make those choices in your life, then you need to go. My dad used to say to me uh, all the time, he'd say, Ronnie, our last name, our good name is the only thing that we've got that we can depend on. And you've got to protect our good name. Well, our, our name wasn't special at all. And my dad's life wasn't worried about protecting his name. What he was talking about was protecting our pride. Now, my dad loved me. He didn't have much of a capacity to demonstrate that. But my dad loved me. Um, but the reality is when... I married Paula. He told me he didn't know me anymore. Now, his was evil. God certainly isn't. But my father disowned me because I married a black woman. And, you know, that 50 years ago, 53 years ago, a, 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 an interracial marriage was not anything like it is today. And, um, you know, my dad knew me. I didn't walk in his plan for my life. Again, this is sort of an anti-type here because that's, that was an evil, ungodly plan. But um, my dad disowned me. He didn't know me any longer. Well, Jesus, for righteous reasons, for reasons of justice and holiness, he will say the same thing. And I say all the time that for those of us who belong to him, that moment when the whole world gets on a knee and confesses that Jesus is the Lord, it'll be the greatest moment of our life. But for those who don't know him, it will be a terrifying moment, the most terrifying moment of their lives. And that moment will last forever and ever. So um, God loves people. He does have a plan for them. um, But they've got to receive it. Again, God knows who will and who won't. But that doesn't diminish the opportunity that everyone is given by God to embrace that plan. So, okay, I hope that untangles it in your brain. Um, that's that's the key. And when you say you hear preachers all the time say things like, uh, God has a plan for your life, uh, we, we who are preachers, we're pleading with people. We're pleading with people. When I give invitations at the end of our messages, um, especially on Sundays when we're asking people to make a public profession of faith by coming forward, um, uh, there, there are times when I'm in tears. Because I know the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of hearts. I know he's making it difficult for people. And yet they simply refuse to acknowledge. They refuse to repent uh, and do what God's asked them to do. And it, it breaks my heart. I can tell them till I'm blue in the face, God loves you and he has this plan. Your life can be richer and fuller than you ever imagined. Jesus called it the abundant life. But the reality is... That when, it's heartbreaking even now to me, when people refuse to hear, refuse to respond, they're simply 
throwing that gift back to the Lord. So, okay, I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question. This got a little bit long. I'm going to edit it a little bit. It's an email um, from Anonymous from our email inbox. Um, he or she says, most recently I heard you say that there will come a time when we have to make a decision when companies force us to take D, E, and I training, diversity, equity, and inclusion is what's being referred to. Like many other companies, I have yearly continuing education, and now it includes a video to watch on DEI, which they call the power of small acts. So, out of curiosity, I started to watch, and then within the first few minutes, it starts explaining personal pronouns. So, I stopped watching. Of course, now the firm is advising to complete the required training, of which I'm way past the due date, a first in 30-plus years. God bless you for being faithful for 30 years. I'm not exactly sure what to do. I've not been confronted with the issue personally, but if I am, I have full intention. I hope that I have the courage and the love that I will call them by their name or names of their choice, but I will not perpetuate the sin, the lie, and in love explain as you did, I think it was on Monday, radio show. I know there'll be uh, there'll be risk with that choice, but I'm wondering if I shouldn't watch the video in order to understand exactly what it is the firm is requesting. Now, a couple of things before I go on with this. Um, remember, as Christians, we cannot lie. It is my pattern, my my choice. I will call anybody by what they want to be called. If if a boy comes to me and says my name is Kathy, I'm going to call him Kathy, but I will not call him or her. Um, um, again, if somebody wants to change your name, that's their legal right to do so. There's no uh, biblical prohibition against it. Um, I will say, okay, Kathy, but, and then I will explain to them that you are a boy, you are not a girl. And when they try to change the language, and that's what this diversity, um, um, equity, and, and inclusion training is all about, um, when they try to get us to change pronouns, then they're trying to force us to lie. And as a Christian, you simply can't do it. I think this is where you stand. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, so many people just cave in and do it. They go through the motions because, well, you know, I've worked here for 30 years. I've got to keep my job. I've got to feed my family. Here's what I'm going to challenge everybody to do, not just this email writer, because uh, he or she has already uh, made that decision. But I'm, I'm just going to say, you, you know, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God made men and women and uh, I will not call a man a woman. I will not call a woman a man because that would be a lie. And to lie would be an offense to my Jesus. And, and I think that's what we need to do. You know, one of the things that kills me about all of this is they're talking about diversity. Think about this. Diversity and equity. Um, we treat people with respect and we should always treat people with respect. But respecting people is, is treating like they've got a brain and telling them the truth, but telling the truth in love, not in an adversarial way, but just simply say, no, I can't call you a girl because you're a boy. I can't call you a, a boy because you're a girl. And, and, and you know, diversity. Um, here would be my statement on diversity. Here's how I would respond to uh, your bosses or to those who are putting on these videos. I would say, if you were really interested in diversity, then you would include born-again Christians in that field. Why aren't you training people how to deal with born-again Christians with sensitivity and with love? You want to talk about diversity? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's diversity. So what you would do is challenge them and do it nicely and do it respectfully, but just challenge them. And, and to say to your bosses, if you're called on the carpet for it, just say, well, well look, the, the first thing that that video, that instruction tried to get me to do was lie, and I can't lie. I just can't lie. Let me continue, and then I'll, uh, I'll go. Um, as a side note, I've often felt disrespected with some of the training in the past as a firm felt their place to explain what respecting one another means and looks like. As I mentioned, I've worked with this 
a firm for over 30 years, and I felt I've always done my best to respect everyone in life, not just at work. Though I know I've fallen short a few times, I guess my true question is, will I disappoint Jesus by watching the video and understanding the firm's position? I think, Anonymous, we know what the firm's position is. This crazy woke stuff that is just sweeping our country and certainly getting into the the public arenas, especially the workplace, um, we know um, what the position is. The position is that we need to accept and affirm people's behavior no matter what we believe. And that's simply something that we can't do. So not only would you not disappoint Jesus um, um, by taking that stand, you would please him. Um, watching the video, that's between you and the Lord. But 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 this isn't something you have to understand. The lines have been drawn, and I challenge our people at Calvary Chapel all the time, Anonymous, to, to draw that line in the spiritual sand and stay on Jesus' side, period. And if you lose your job, you lose your job. Now, I know that's harsh, and people say, what am I going to do? Well, it's easy. You trust God. And here's what I can promise you. If you take a stand with and for Jesus, he will stand for you, and then you can depend on him, and your life will be richer. It might, for a time, be more difficult. You might be angry. Your feelings might be hurt. You've got more than 30 years invested in this company. But believe me, Jesus standing there smiling at you, telling you he's got you, is worth any and all disappointment that you will ever experience. So it's really important that we understand this. This is our responsibility before God to say the right thing and do the right thing and do it unashamedly and unapologetically, not disrespectfully. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. We treat people with love and respect, but loving them and respecting them includes telling them the truth in love. And we've got to do it. And we live in a, in a world that is just impossibly crazy and requiring us to make a decision. And that decision is, okay, I'm going to stand with you, Lord, no matter the cost, no matter the cost. And by the way, for those of you who are in this position and you have families, this is an opportunity for you to witness to your families. You bring your family together and you say very simply, that I'm facing the possibility of losing my job because they want me to lie and I can't lie. They want me to tell people that what they're doing is okay. They want me to actually approve and affirm it. And I can't do that because those people will end up going to hell. And I, I, I love them too much. I don't want that to happen. So pray for me. Family, this is who we are. We're Christians. What a great testimony that is. You know, when I first got saved, um, I'm going back now almost 32 years, um, I called a family meeting. Now, we never had family meetings because I worked 100 plus hour weeks. I mean, I was always at work. And I called a family meeting and I sat down with my two boys. They were 16 and 18 at the time. Paula was there as well. And and I said, um, I, I started out by saying, boys, I Everything I've ever taught you is wrong. Everything. I told them, I met Jesus, and now I found out that I was wrong, and I taught you what was wrong. And I told them, I don't know yet what's right, but as I find out, I will tell you. But basically, I was telling them, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, and it's not your dad. The new sheriff is Jesus Christ, and our family is going to serve him. That was the very first time, and it was embarrassing and shameful for me, for my pride uh, as a brand-new believer. Um, to, to tell them that I didn't have the answers. I couldn't help them, but Jesus could, and I'll, I'll tell them what he says. That was a, a, an opportunity to witness like I've never had before. For the first time, I really felt like God was pleased with me. And even though I couldn't really explain it at that time, being brand new in the Lord, um, every one of these battles that we're fighting in this culture, every one of them, is our opportunity to stand and witness for Jesus Christ. And when the world says, oh, you're just a homophobe or you're a transphobe or or you're just a hater or you're just a bigot, uh, you know the truth, God knows the truth, and all you can say is, now you're judging me and my heart 
And the only thing I care about is that you would be in heaven forever. Because that's where I'm going to be no matter what. I believe with all my heart that that's how the uh, uh, martyrs in the first century were able to face death and, and horrible, horrible deaths. They just said, you know, we're going to be in heaven forever and ever. We're going to be with the Lord. And that was enough for them. And sadly, I don't think it's enough for a lot of us in these days. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. And I'll be praying for you. If you'd keep us posted, uh, I would appreciate it so we know how things are going. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. And by the way, we got our phones fixed. So uh, yesterday people were calling and we, we couldn't get the calls, couldn't make the connection. But all those technical problems are resolved. Uh, toll free, our number is 877-630-KSLR. Howard says, can we be unified with Christians who hold a replacement theology? Howard, I don't believe that that people who hold a replacement theology really are Christians. I don't think they're born again. I don't know how they could do that when, in fact, um, uh, the Holy Spirit lives in them. Uh, I mean, this is an essential of the historic Christian faith. We've got to be people that pray for the blessings of Israel. We got to understand that that there were Jews and there were Gentiles and they hated each other, but God has brought them together. This is one of the mysteries that was revealed to the Apostle Paul, how the church put two, Jew and Gentile, and made them one. And made them one. Ephesians chapter 2 is really important. And, and, and to say, well, I believe replacement theology, for those of you who might not know, is that the church has taken over the promises of and the, the, the place of, of Israel in the Bible. And God is not going to fulfill his promises to Abraham, uh, and he's not going to do it because they rejected Jesus Christ. Uh, if God can break a promise to Abraham, he can break every promise to us. If God can break a promise... He actually is unqualified, impotent to save us because that's inconsistent with his holy character. So, uh, no, I don't think there's any unification at all. I, you could certainly be friends with people and, and all that, but, but what you've got to do is open the book of Ephesians and read it to them. That's all you've got to do. And if they continue to believe that the church has taken over the Israel's place, well, then that's demonic. And, and I don't mean they're possessed by a demon, but I mean the doctrine is demonic uh, and and anti-Semitic. And, and of course, um, all of the anti-Semitism, the, the, the hatred toward Jews throughout the history of their existence, uh, all of that hatred was demonic because, of course, the devil knows that Israel is God's special people. So it's very important, Howard, that we understand that um, replacement theology is heretical and those who hold to it probably are not born again. Uh, And if they are truly born again, then the Holy Spirit will lead them through the study of the scriptures to a different conclusion. So maybe they're honestly wrong at the beginning, but um, most new believers don't have that problem. This is is usually the case with people who... um, have been convinced by um, false teachers, false prophets, that this is is the the thing. So replacement theology is really, really awful. Here's a question, Anonymous. Is it possible to be saved without following Jesus? Uh, The answer to that question, of course, is no. Uh, It's not possible to be saved. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him, I would also add anonymous, and this might be the point of your question, uh, there are people that make professions of faith but then don't follow Jesus, and I would suggest to you then that those professions of faith are not genuine. You know, sort of like Jesus' parable of the sower, where as believers we're to scatter the word of God everywhere we go, and, and it'll fall on all kinds of soil. And one of those soils that receives the word of joy, word of, of the Lord with with joy, and it springs up and appears to be fruitful, but then uh, it no longer continues or it doesn't persist in that fruitfulness. Um, and, and I think that's the case for a lot of people. We see people answering invitations all the time. If you go to any crusade event, you'll see hundreds of people walking forward. I think I'm, I'm going to use a number that that 
I think I remember correctly, but but um, uh, I, I can't um, insist on it. But Billy Graham used to say that uh, of the, the tens of thousands of people that came forward at his crusade events, um, they thought probably only 20% of those people um, would continue in the faith and demonstrate that their conversion was more than an emotional experience, that it was genuine. So uh, it's simply not possible to be saved. Uh, when you come to Jesus, we've got to come to him on his terms. When we come to Jesus, not an emotional response, but when we truly come to Jesus, we have to be willing to put the old life behind us. That's what's to, to die. That's what repentance is. We were following sin, and now we're going to follow Jesus, which means we're going to walk the other direction. Um, but following Jesus is uh, an authentication of your faith. It demonstrates that your confession of faith and your conversion was genuine. So um, you got to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And certainly to follow Jesus, that is a requirement. Boy, that half hour went really, really quick. We'd love your calls. You're more interesting than I am. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox anonymously. Um, he says, I have a question about a friend of mine who said she practices witchcraft. Now she professes that she believes in God and that she does not practice dark magic. The thing is, I have a little crush on her, but I'm trying to work through that because my feeling is I probably shouldn't try to get with her while she's in this position or serving that type of thing. Is there anything um, that I should do to help her get on the right path because I do believe it's wrong? Thank you, Pastor Ron. You're an inspiration, and we appreciate how you lift our spirits and how God uses you. Nothing but love for you. Oh, thank you very much, Anonymous. Um, you're in a pretty dangerous place here. Um, the, the fact that somebody says they believe in God doesn't mean they believe in Jesus Christ. Certainly, this is a woman who is not born again. You've got to be really, really careful. But uh, our emotions are so fragile and so easily swayed um, that you really need to draw a line now. Now, because she's a friend, um, it would be appropriate, I think, to explain to her. And what a great opportunity to be completely honest with her. You could say, you know what, uh, I, I probably haven't been as direct with you as I needed to be. Uh, but and the, and the reason is because I had a little crush on you. It's okay. I'm all right. I'm not trying to, to, to make you uncomfortable, but, but that's the reason. But... You're practicing dark magic, or you're not practicing dark magic, but you are are practicing witchcraft, and that's so evil, and God hates it. And so what I'd like to do is introduce you to the real Jesus, and then explain your faith to her. Let her know that you're just doing this out of care and concern for her, not because you have a crush on her, but but maybe because you have a crush on her, you haven't been as direct as you needed to be. But this is a, an unequally yoked relationship that is absolutely forbidden. And even if she said, well, I didn't know that I was evil and I repent, well, even then you need to go really, really slow and make sure that a conversion is authentic, that the experience is genuine. And uh, uh, believe me, you will be helping her immensely. And um, who knows, maybe she falls in love with the Jesus and with the Lord and you guys can fall in love with each other and go happily about your, your, your lives. But for now, you've got to keep a distance, especially knowing that you, you have feelings for the girl. Um, be concerned about her eternal soul. And be direct with her, but be direct in kindness and in love and with respect, but 
um, practicing witchcraft is a no-no. God hates it. It is an abomination. Um, he even likens rebellion. The, the rebellion, he says, is as the sin of witchcraft. So it's a terrible, terrible sin. And even if she says, well, why is it a sin? I'm a spiritual person. No, no, no. It's a sin because God says it's a sin. And if you're truly a spiritual person, then wouldn't you want to be in contact with the right spirit? His name is Jesus Christ. Good question. Thanks very much. Appreciate your kind words as well. Here is a question. Oh, we got a phone call. Thank you for their heads up. Let's go to Von Army and talk with Scott on line one. Scott, good to hear from you. You're on the air. Scott, are you there? Oh, there you are. (laughs) You got me? Okay. Um, A question came up in our Bible study last week. It wasn't in the section we were studying, but uh, we kind of discussed it, and uh, I told them I'd come back with an answer. And I think I kind of know what it is, but I wanted to get your your thoughts on this also. The question was, I believe it's uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 8. We're convicted of sin and righteousness and their and of judgment. But they were like, how can you be convicted of righteousness? And then I went down, well, I, later I went back and I read through the whole thing. And in verse 10, it seems like where Jesus ascends into heaven as the standard of righteousness. And maybe the righteousness that they're saying we're convicted of is like a, a, a worldly righteousness or a, a good person, a works righteousness. Anyway, I wanted your your take on that and maybe what the right answer or the right way to approach that question Okay. Thanks, Scott. I can do that. It's not Matthew 16. I'm not sure right now I'd I'd find the the address, but it's not Matthew 16. But but here's the thing. Jesus is, is talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Now, uh, we we understand conviction in terms of sin. Um, we're 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 convicted. We know that we're wrong. We know that we've fallen short of the glory of God, and we repair it. But when it's of righteousness, there's got to be an answer. When we're convicted of sin, when we're convinced, and I personally think that's a better word um, uh, to 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 translate into English, or that's a better English translation. When we're convinced that we're sinners, then we've also got to be convinced that there is an answer for our lack of righteousness. And, of course, that's the person of Jesus Christ, and that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to first convince us that we're sinners, we've fallen short of the glory of God, and then convince us of the corrective path. And since Jesus is that corrective path, Scott, then what we've got to do is is be convinced that he is the answer, the only answer, as he said, the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. Uh, and then, then the final part of that is in, in convinced of judgment. Um, the, the reality is, when we when we know we're sinners and we don't respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ to to be forgiven, then the Holy Spirit will convince us of judgment to come. And this is something instinctively we all know. We all know there's going to be an answer. I remember telling my dad that uh, Paul and I were coming to San Antonio, Texas to start a church. He thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Just the dumbest thing ever. I was in business. I could make a lot of money. He just thought it was dumb. And then he looked at me. It was really a, a strange moment because he looked at me and he said, Ronnie, we all know that we're going to answer to something, something out there, he said. We're going we're gonna to have to answer for the choices we make in the choice. And I said, Dad, of course we're going to answer. But you don't have to answer for that because Jesus will give you his perfection. Jesus will forgive you of your sins, and then you will be judged on the basis of his life. And, and my dad at that moment rejected that completely. No, not going to do it. And my dad was full of pride like most of us. Um, and, and gratefully, on his deathbed, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, went over to see him while he was in the hospital because I couldn't get there till the next day. And um, 
And he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. So he was convinced that there was a judgment, and he wanted to avoid that judgment. So that's all that means, Scott. It's not convicted of righteousness, because righteousness won't be condemned at all. It's it's convinced that there is a path to righteousness, and Jesus is that path. Good question, Scott. Thank you very, very much. It's John 16, 8, not Matthew 16, 8. And this is the upper room discourse when Jesus was telling his disciples, um, it's good for them that he goes away. Now, they didn't believe it. They didn't buy it, not for a minute. But he really explained to them that he's going to come and, and you'll do greater things than you've seen me do. People are going to get saved, and the Word of God is going to spread, and the world is going to be turned right side up by the power of this Holy Spirit. So it was good, even though they couldn't understand it at the time Jesus was declaring it. Great question, Scott. Thanks very, very much. We have James from Belmont on line two. James, good to hear from you again. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, uh, bear with me because I'm actually going through the drive-thru, so if uh, <laughs> you hear somebody from my favorite chicken place, oh. <laughs> uh, even though it's chicken liver, um, oh. then just kind of overlook that. I okay. have two questions, so I'm wanting a twofer. I, I don't know why, probably because it's Friday and I didn't call yesterday. Uh, but two questions. Hello. Uh, my first question is uh, the Great Commission. Whenever mm-hmm. Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make mm-hmm. disciples of all nations, I've heard that there was actually a, oh, he's smiling at me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she knows you, Pastor. That's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the word, therefore go, I, I heard somebody that was saying that they were talking particular to the Greek words that were used, and they said instead of saying, therefore go, uh, in in their mind's eye, they said, and I wish I could give you the word, it's in my other Bible, I'm, I'm trying to rewrite a new Bible, but they said in the uh, in the Greek that, that the word that they used, it would have been better to have said, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Um, I, I was that was one question. Okay. And my twofer is that right now my Sunday school group is uh, talking about um, Nehemiah. I think we're on chapter. I want to say it's three. I don't want you to know that I'm cramming at the last minute for my Sunday school lesson. But <laughs> whenever they talk about the ten gates. Um, when I read the Ten Gates, I cannot help but see an application to the church. You know how it begins with a sheet gate, it ends with a sheet gate. Uh, the, the sequence just makes perfect sense to me. Yep. And I guess I'm just wanting to know um, if, if you see the same sort of thing when you look at the Ten Gates, or am I over-reading? Because I am... So glad that that the Spirit of God decided that uh, that actually people's names, yeah. occupations, they were recorded. I mean, God pays attention to the specifics. Yep. Um, and uh, just the sequence. I mean, I don't want to make too big of a thing out of English translations for the names of these gates, but you know, I. I where to you? I can't help but see the church over these last 2,000 years. <laughs> James, uh, and, uh, and, and I'll wait and, and listen to you yeah. uh, for your answer on the, on the radio. I can do that, James. I love your questions. They're so honest and insightful. Let me start with the Nehemiah 3 chapter question. Um, that it starts with the sheep gate and ends with the sheep gate it is exactly uh, intended to evoke the response that you've got. You know, if it's just a historical uh, reference, then it might be interesting to us, but it would have no real practical value. What I say to my church all the time is that whatever happens to Israel in the spiritual, or I'm sorry, in the physical realm happens to us, the church, Christians in the spiritual realm. 
And so God is delivering us a message. And Nehemiah chapter 3 is absolutely magnificent. The names of the gates, the positioning of the gates, the order of those gates, uh, even the mention. I love that you mentioned he, he mentions people specifically, even even those who had soft hands and um, uh, who, who, who refused to participate, those who thought they were too good to do the work. All of them are mentioned, and that's a picture of the Church of Jesus Christ. James, let me uh, encourage you to do this. Um, You can go to our website, calvaryessay.com, and the study that I did in er, in Nehemiah chapter 3 is exactly uh, on track with where you're going with this. Um, I'm asked to speak at other churches uh, frequently. And a lot of times people want me to come and speak at their church because they know that our church has has really filled with servants and, and they're having a hard time getting people to serve. And, well, how do you do it? And so they, they'll ask me to come and teach because they, they want that kind of teaching or encouragement for people to serve. And I always teach Nehemiah chapter 3 when that happens. Uh, I've, I've taught that, that chapter so many times, and it's it's just a perfect uh, exhortation to the Church of Jesus Christ. So you are on exactly the right path, and um, go ahead and and dig in. You're going to absolutely love it. The first question, um, when Jesus said go, um, uh, he meant go, but it's written in Greek in the continuous present tense. So as you are going uh, is accurate. It gives you sort of the tense. Jesus, uh, when he says go, if we take it just as it's read in English, then we might go, we do something. No, as you are going, and I would add even wherever you are going, wherever and whenever you are going, then it is our responsibility to make disciples of people from all nations. So it's as you are going. It's not a command. I once had somebody who was really mission-minded, which is a good thing. Being mission-minded is a really good thing. But um, she was trying to get people to sign up for missions and mission support. And, and because there wasn't a big response, she said, well, what do you think it means? What do you think go means? And, and she had it wrong. Go to the mission field and make disciples. That's not what he was saying at all. It's literally as you are going or wherever or whenever you are going, make disciples. It describes a continuous, ongoing command that we have wherever we go. One other comment about this that I think is 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 significant. Jesus speaking primarily to his disciples who will be apostles. Uh, they're going to set an example for others. But remember, he had given them the authority before to go out two by two and cast out demons and heal the sick. So they had their own experience um, um, with Jesus' borrowed authority. And that's what he's saying there. James, those are great questions. Thanks very, very much. Let's go to Harold on line one from San Antonio. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I wasn't Hi, sure Harold. I would make it in because it's, oh, like, yeah. it's uh, getting late and everything like that. Good uh, to hear I from you. Been listening. Thanks. You know, I, I wasn't listening to you this afternoon on the radio, but I, I came across this question and I thought, you know, so in other words, I'm saying I don't know what y'all are talking about. Okay. But I have a question about Romans. Let me get a breath. Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 17, and I'll I'll read it real quick from the NLT. It says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of of the people of Israel have been broken off, and the Gentiles whose branches from the wild olive tree have been grafted in. So um, my question, grafted into what or to where? That's all my question is. Thank you very, very much. I can do that. I don't know what happened to my computer. It just had a big black box come up over the, the, the Bible passage that I have here. So I was starting to read it, and I couldn't. I'm going to read it out of the 1984 NIV. Um, what Paul is doing here is he's um, being critical of those Jewish Christians, those Jewish converts to Christianity, um, who are sort of minimizing or marginalizing uh, the Gentiles 
who are, are coming in. And the Gentiles then would get proud and say, well, we're the church and we're the, the we're born again believers. And, and they would forget the promise of Israel. And, God, and Paul is warning them. God is warning them through the apostle Paul. Um, don't, don't get proud. And then he's saying, look, I grafted you in. I can certainly graft others in. And that's why he says, if the part um, that's obviously uh, um, the first fruits, that's, that's Israel, that's Jews, if that is, um, if, if they were the first ones in, obviously it was holy. That was Abraham. Abraham was the one who is holy. And he says, look, some of those have been grafted off or broken off. And the reason that is, is because of unbelief. And so now you, uh, a wild olive shoot, in other words, you don't really belong there. Um, You've been grafted in. Well, how dare you now? How dare you now belittle them? Don't get proud. Don't boast over those branches. And then he says this, if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Jesus, of course, was Jewish. And they were broken off, we're told, in verse 20, because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. But here's what he's saying. Don't be arrogant, but have a healthy fear of God. So that's what he's talking about. This is just a reference to those Gentiles who are sort of minimizing the role of Jews in the plan of God. And I had a question in the first half of the program that you didn't listen to, Harold, about um, uh, being arrogant, you know, about replacement theology. And, and that that's never stopped throughout the history of the church. It has never stopped. And uh, anybody that thinks that we have a position superior to those who will come after us, uh, once again, God is going to return and fulfill all of his promise to Israel. And that will be the glorious fulfillment of the age. And I, I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait. Good question, Harold. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Chuck. He says, Pastor, can a real Christian be demon-possessed? No. A real Christian, Chuck, cannot be demon-possessed, period. Now, typically, this is uh, uh, prosperity or health and wealth, um, believism. Uh, It's simply not true. Um, you know, there's no demon of lust, there's no demon of cancer, there's no demon of this or that. Um, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't say greater is he who is in you than the other he who is in the world. And every time Jesus would come to a demon-possessed person, that demon would be cast out. And, and once cast out and fulfilled by the, by the Holy Spirit, who is God, then that person then belongs to God. That's a guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So it is impossible, Chuck, for a real Christian to be demon-possessed. Never forget that, because there's a lot of bad teaching out there. Here is a question from Melissa. I find this is this one is interesting, and I wish, Melissa, you'd have called so that I could have uh, sort of picked your brain a little bit and see uh, what your motive behind the question is. She wants to know, how do I feel about plagiarism by preachers? It seems to be quite prevalent. Um, obviously, plagiarism is wrong, you know, when you borrow something from somebody. Now, anything that I say, anybody, and this is carte blanche. If, if anybody wants to steal any of my stuff feel free. Go ahead. It belongs to the Lord. If it helps you to to make a point, then that's fine. I need no attribution. However, um, if you're going to say something that is a direct quote, and I don't mean just changing a word or two so you can sort of skirt around the edges, but, but we need to give attribution to those who said it. I try not to... Um, um, quote quote directly from other people's messages. But every once in a while, there's just something that's so profound. Maybe it's something by A.W. Tozer or F.F. Bruce. Um, um, and it's just so profound, it rocks me to my core. And if it fits in a message, I will say, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce said, or A.W. Tozer wrote this. And I want people to know that that's what it is. Now, the real problem I think that you're addressing, Melissa, is... Um, because now 
there's so many sermons and so many preachers online, and we can get stuff all the time. Um, uh, is it okay to borrow their ideas? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it's okay to borrow their ideas, but if you're going to steal directly, then then you give them attribution, and I think by doing that, you're being honest. Um, um, there there are times when I'm trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with this message? What direction do you want to go with it? I've done my studying. What do you want to What do you want to do with it for this particular group that's going to be hearing it? And I'll hear something that somebody says. Uh, now, I'm typically not talented enough to really steal stuff from people because they're much better communicators than I am or they, they've got a really neat style that, uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I would love to be able to duplicate. But I just can't do it because I really don't have a style. But um, we, we, we really need to depend on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Study the Word. Depend on what God wants to do. And then make yourself a vessel through whom he can work. And if you're plagiarizing something from somebody else, you can't do it. I had a friend of mine uh, who called to confess one day, uh, another covered pastor in another state. And he said, uh, I've really messed up. And I said, well, what would you do? And he said, well, I, I, I preached. And then he mentioned the pastor's name. I preached his sermon. And I said, what do you mean? You just got some ideas? He goes, no, I preached it word for word. I was busy and I didn't have time. And and I begged him to confess that to his church and ask for forgiveness. I believed that God would be merciful and that his church would be merciful. And he just didn't want to do it. He just felt like if anybody found out, then they would no longer have any confidence in him. And so he didn't do it. And then a little bit of time goes by. And um, and somebody stirred up the whole church because they presented the two side by side, and it was word for word uh, with this other pastor. Of course, that's not something that we ought to do. So, Melissa, I don't know if that was the, the motive for the questions, but it's interesting. If you want to follow up on it, write back. Hey, we're done with this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church. Be a blessing to someone else. Say, Lord, what about me and what about today? And look for those divine appointments. You will be the one who gets blessed. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.